Welcome to The Voice of Business, the official podcast of the Chamber of Commerce Hawaii, brought to you by Altruist. I'm your host, Joe McGarry. Our guest today is Ryan Tanaka. Amongst other things, Ryan is the president of Kai High Capital LLC. He joined Kai Hawaii as the CFO in 2018 and runs the company's investment arm, Kai High Capital LLC. In addition to this, Ryan is the president of the recently acquired Underground Services, Inc., and leads the company's affordable housing developments. Ryan has nearly two decades of experience in financial consulting, real estate, and business management. In 2007, he founded financial consulting company Island Business Management, LLC, in which he's still active as its managing member. Prior to this, he worked in investment banking and finance in Japan for Tokyo Star Bank and Deutsche Securities, Inc. He is also the managing partner and co-owner of Giovanni Prestami. And since July, he is also the chairman of the Hawaii Restaurant Association. Well, my first question to you is, where do you find the time to do all of this? Ryan, welcome to our podcast. (laughs) Thank you for coming. Good to see you, Joe. Good to see you too. So there are so many things that really I want to chat with you about, especially given recent events. Um, Mm -hmm. let's, Let's go back to 2020. I think a lot of people will have become familiar with your company, Island Business Management, when you took a really prominent role in developing the a program for the restaurant community, which right at the beginning of the pandemic was absolutely rudderless. I mean, people just did not know. We look back on it now and we say, oh, yes, everyone pivoted. It was really good. Well, it really wasn't that easy for people. Let's go back to that and talk about that and how you started that program and how it's developed. Sure. Well, I just acquired Giovanni Pastrami with a small hui 45 days before COVID hit. And so I, I knew firsthand, right? I'm on the personal guarantee that restaurants, other businesses were struggling. And especially if they're customer facing, especially if they have a landlord and, and have a lease agreement in place. And how do you, how do you come up with your rent when you're forced to close for multiple months? So I was, um, I formed a, a coalition that was statewide with banks, trade associations, lawmakers. I partnered with Dr. Eugene Tian, our chief state economist, and we formed a quarterly commercial rent survey. And we asked, right, to, to give lawmakers insight, we asked a simple question of, you know, how's your business doing? How's your rent? Um, how far back are you behind in, in rent payments? And they would give us their insight and then we would share that with lawmakers. So from that point, we were able to raise awareness and it was done every quarter. So we did four surveys. And each time we did that, we would um, come to the market and, and present. And it was during city council hearings. It was to Governor Ige and whoever he invited with him to Mayor Cottle at the time. And that resulted in quite a bit of funding being used from the um, CARES funds towards helping small businesses. You did actually get their attention, didn't you? Because some of that CARES fund money would definitely have just drifted in a different direction, I think, if it hadn't been for the fact that your reports were so compelling and so professionally done that they were speaking to lawmakers and telling them the story that small businesses, especially restaurants, were not doing well and couldn't come to agreements with landlords. While some landlords were extremely helpful, what people forgot was landlords also had to satisfy debt and pay loans off too. So I think you guys did do something really tremendous in getting that those care funds distributed. Let's fast forward 
restaurants are still going through those challenges, right? A lot of it coming from lawmakers. A lot of people think, let's get more taxes. Let's get it from the restaurants. When is that going to change? This is a great question. You know, now that um, foot traffic has been restored for the visitor industry, at least 90% of it, people think that restaurants are fine and that businesses are out of the woods. But you think about PPP1, we were closed, right? Most places were closed, so they couldn't spend PPP1. So they converted it to a loan and they're paying it back where they just didn't end up taking it. Same with the second round of PPP. They ended up not taking PPP2. Then there's all these small grants that hardly, many of them didn't even hear about. Plus the, or know, couldn't get to them fast enough. Get them fast enough. Mm-hmm. You know, the employee retention credit, many people don't know about yet. We're still trying to raise awareness. And then only one third of restaurants receive the, or less, the Restaurant Revitalization Fund grant. So many restaurants are limping on their last leg. And, and that's why it's so important to support local. And that's why we need the community to do right their part also to, to go out. And you think about the restaurant industry in Hawaii, we employ 100,000 people. So by supporting local, you're supporting your neighbors and your friends. Well, absolutely. Every dollar you spend in a restaurant is coming back to your community, whether it's because your auntie works there or your son works there or just because the restaurant itself generates so much. I always say to people, think about a fundraiser for your school or think about when someone needed to do a fundraiser for an emergency operation. Where do you go? You go to a restaurant, right? You ask them to do the fundraiser for you. There's there's compelling evidence that when restaurants succeed, communities thrive. I mean, I've believed that ever since, you know, I started doing what I do. But we still have this continual battle with with a, a lot of government where restaurants, it seems, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe I'm wrong, Ryan, but it does seem that restaurants are seen as an easy tap if we have to increase taxes or or put more legislation into small business, the restaurants get hit time after time after time. Uh, You're absolutely right. And during COVID, restaurants were the hardest hit industry, but they were also the most heavily regulated industry. And so they were the most severely impacted, not just the restaurant owners, but all of their employees and their landlords. So it is this ongoing continuum of how do you get them out of this, um, this downward spiral and like you said, community engagement has become very important. And that's why the Hawaii Russian Association has partnered with the University of Hawaii Athletics Department to try to be a pioneer in that space. That's something that we'll talk about in just a bit, because that's, really, that's a really nice initiative that you've been a huge part of. But are you seeing, so, so I mentioned in the introduction that, that you recently took over as the chairman of the Hawaii Restaurant Association. That's a great vantage point to see in depth how our restaurants are doing across the islands. We know, well, where are we right, right now? 3,800 restaurants or something? Open. Um, so the, the uh, National Restaurant Association publishes data every year. And so we haven't received the most recent publication, but um, the, the latest one shows that there's 3,600 restaurants in Hawaii. Okay. And, and I think that we are seeing the people who worked so hard all during COVID, a lot of them are now done. They're, they're either too tired, they, they've had to put, you know, too much in, their money has run out. I have many restaurant people telling me, well, the money's gone, let's just see how it goes. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I think we might be facing really some pretty big closures of restaurants and in, in maybe after the, ho- the next holiday period. Yeah, unfortunately, that's, you're probably right. And hopefully um, what we're anticipating is the international visitor returning to Hawaii and strong holiday sales. 
So that might help to overcome, boost. yeah, you know, some of the some of the um, the headwinds that restaurants face. What are you hearing from the restaurant association members? Like when y- you first took over, and I know you've been involved with it before, but when you first took over as cher- chairman, what are their number one concerns and complaints? And I can probably answer that for you, but go ahead. So I think a lot of it is perspective. You know, we have to um, realize there are certain things that lawmakers can and cannot do. And the only reason that that relationship was bridged so quickly during COVID was because lawmakers were forcing the closure of restaurants, right? They were mandating the closure. So they were actually interfering in the private sector, which doesn't typically happen. So these are unprecedented times and it's easy for restaurant owners to, you know, to kind of look to um, the HRA now for help, right? To say, hey, can you guys help with this? Or can you help with that with permits or with, um, you know, some, some new legislation that's being passed and, that is becoming the main purpose of HRA is to bridge that that gap between restaurants, right, who don't have the time to understand who's in power, you know, who's running what what committee, but to just ask for ask the HRA for help and there will be the the spokesperson, spokespeople to then approach the appropriate lawmaker and see what we can do to help. So it's advocacy. It's it's a, a role it's, that's a changing and advocacy. becoming yeah. advocates for these people who, as you say, are just so incredibly busy. Which prior to COVID, right, the Hawaii Restaurant Association was not as prominent. Mm-hmm. It really became prominent because of that seamless interaction between Governor Ige and Mayor Cottle and Mayor Blangiardi, right? You know, uh, they were in real time calling us, asking us for advice and for counsel before they would pass new laws or, or create new mandates. Now, as we mentioned also in the beginning, you are also a restaurant owner. You are the managing partner and co-owner of Giovanni Pastrami, which you bought 45 days before COVID took place. You must be in a very unique group of people who woke up on the morning of COVID and really thought, what did I just do? Um, what kind of things did you do or or what kind of things could you pass on to people as like best practice when it comes to running a restaurant? Because you not only survived, but you thrived and Giovanni Pastrami is doing phenomenally well um share with us some of your best practice from a restaurant owner point of view so there was a recent um consumer survey that i read and i don't remember the source but it, it had um surveyed a number of restaurateurs and um not not the owners but the patrons right so connoisseurs and 50 percent had said that their behavior is not expected to change at all going forward that they just want what they're familiar with right that that good vibe with good food, good service, and a high quality experience. The other half, right, we, we have to be proactive in understanding and meeting their changing expectations. And that includes right, online ordering, they're looking for healthier options, they could be um, responding to food allergies with new menu items, social media has become very prevalent, and things like now outdoor dining. You have to change. I mean, the whole model, and as you say, the expectation of the consumer is absolutely changing. And I think that, again, is something that we're seeing in maybe older restaurants is they just can't. You know, if they don't have outdoor seating or they don't have a takeout window, they're not going to be able to move forward in this way of of people changing how they're eating. But it takes a lot, doesn't it? Do you think that your your role as CFO of Kai Hawaii and, of course, with Island Business Management, has that helped you become a better restaurant owner? I think so, because I, I'm able to stay in tune with the market. Right? I, I follow the market every day. So that allows me, when I'm talking to lawmakers or, or media even, 
um, to, to very quickly respond to some of the questions that they may have because they're not in the market like I am. So how is the market today then? What are you seeing? What are you thinking? Share that. You know, so the, I think the biggest challenge is going to be this, you know, our, this new definition of a recession. Right? We, we, we've already experienced two back-to-back quarters of negative GDP growth. And now they're saying it's no longer a recession, but we're expecting one based on new metrics that are coming out. So I think the Federal Reserve will continue to raise interest rates going forward until we can combat inflation. And that inflation is what's causing the higher prices. So it's affecting the customer experience. But you know, when you think about as a consumer, right, there's this perception that restaurant prices have gone through the roof. But I think the perception is much worse than the actual price increase. So for example, you raise a menu item by $1 yep. and you bring a family of four and each of you order four, you know, one item each. That's a $4 increase in your bill. That, you know, the perception is it's, you know, you're going to be paying an astronomical amount and you can't afford to go out to eat. But the reality is you can. And, you know, we're very close to pre-COVID pricing. There, there are small increases to combat that increased food cost, which hopefully will also be temporary. But that perception is really affecting the market because there are restaurant owners now from day to day who just don't know who's coming into their restaurant because they can't predict as they could, you know, pre-COVID. Even during 2021, there was a fairly predictable uh, sort of consumer response to restaurants and they were doing quite well, but it's that's gone. And people, I think, are staying home because they do think, oh, it's easier just to stay home. I find that the opposite is true. I mean, going grocery shopping right now for a family of four or six, unless you are really careful, that's where your spending has increased. It's not in a restaurant. It's in the grocery store. But people are not, I don't think they're putting that together. They're just assuming we can't afford to go out because everything's gone up. I think if you actually did a side-by-side comparison, it's more expensive to go and try and shop for dinner every night. So again, another survey that I was, the results I was reading that I don't remember the source, I apologize. But what it essentially said was the, the people who are staying at home and working from home are more likely to shop in a grocery store. People who are going into the office and working in an office are more likely to eat out and dine in a restaurant. So I do think that while people are staying home, you know, you're, you're seeing that trend, right? Where they just, they'd rather just shop and, and cook at home. But people who are you know, slowly going back into the office, I think that behavior is returning to normalcy. So we've got to get people back to work. I mean, that's not just because we want to see more downtown food traffic, but because the mindset is different if you're leaving home and going in to work, I think, every day. So that, that's an entirely different philosophical question because some, it's really business to business. Um, businesses that are product driven are um, proving that some of them are more efficient working from home. Uh, whereas businesses that are service oriented, where that collaboration is important to creating a, an improved client deliverable, then yes, those businesses are finding that we need to get our employees back into the office. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because on the other side of it, not from the employer and the productivity point of view, but you know, as we work downtown, you can see the difference downtown when people are not coming they're not flooding out of offices at lunchtime into those little mom and pop businesses that rely on foot traffic for three hours a day to make a living that those people are not there or not. I mean, they are definitely coming back. Parking lots are getting full, but there's so many things connected, aren't there with, with how we used to behave and how we behave and how will we behave going forward? I mean, 
will downtown restaurants become a thing that are much less, you know, visible? I mean, there's just so much. To, have you read any surveys on that? Of how, well, like you know, office so, workers. So keep in mind, yeah. So there's there's fifty to fifty five thousand people who work in downtown Honolulu, mm-hmm. and of that, right now, a, a vast majority of them are staying home. So that's why you're seeing less foot traffic. Yeah, and that translates to less business for restaurant operators and less taxes. And there's just there's just a whole new world out there of money, money in, money out. What what are the implications of staying home? How much money? Do you actually not put into the economy if you're working from your house, but you're more productive for your company? I mean, it's just, you could just go around in circles, right? Trying to work it out. Well, and I think work-life balance has become a major theme, right? So if you have young children, right, you have a spouse, staying at home, being with them, um, that quality time. But also if they're, if you don't have access to whether it's um, early education or if you want rather homeschool your child, right, then the parents really need to share that, that, um, own responsibility. We mentioned that another initiative that that you're part of at Giovanni Pastrami, it does connect those things, business and food and restaurants. So tell us a little bit about the the brotherhood and and that whole thing and how you're partnering with UH with, you know, a real intent to make a difference. So actually, um, I co-founded that program with, with head coach Timmy Chang and I was in his office and he'd asked to figure out a way because their budget stopped during the summer. There, there was an eight-week period where they couldn't feed their players. And so in, in preparation for this upcoming season, which now we're in, he asked if I could help him to feed his players. And so um, I committed for Giovanni Pashami first, and then I went to the Hawaii Restaurant Association Executive Committee meeting, and three more restaurant owners, uh, Gyotaku, Kuhio Al Food Hall, and Ruby Tuesdays, jumped in right away. So we had four restaurants that were able to share one meal per month over an eight-week period for UH football. And then um, to do that, we had to enter name, image, likeness agreements. So this is federal legislation that just started 12 months ago. And without that, we probably couldn't do what we're doing right now. But because of the NIL agreements, I have entered NIL agreements with every single player on behalf of the HRA. And that's allowing us to um, not only give them rest- uh, give them meals for compensation where they work for it, you know, they post on social media, but we're also able to give them giveaways for their for their work. And, and then that has led to UH men's and women's basketball, women's soccer, uh, UH men's and women's volleyball, and now UH men's and women's golf. So it's really multifaceted, isn't it? And it's come about because there have been changes in what players are able to accept and what they're able to do. Um, how is it? How's the program and how's the response to it? It's been overwhelming. Um, the most important, uh, I guess, unforeseen benefit is this has become a retention and a recruiting tool for coaches. And so that's, that's now the, the focal point of why we're doing this and why we want to continue to do this um, to the extent possible going forward. When you say that it's become a tool, they're able to go and say to potential players, if you come to Hawaii, these are some of the other things that you are able to do. You will eat you know, during the summer really well. You'll be able to be eligible for some of these giveaways. And yeah, is, is that what you mean by that? So only only the um, only certain athletes right now are receiving these NIL agreements nationwide. The approach that we're taking is we're giving it to every single player on the team for multiple teams. So whereas you know one team may have one player with an NIL agreement, we now have two hundred NIL agreements with two hundred student athletes, right, covering multiple sports. So 
that story um, really represents what Hawaii is, right? That aloha spirit that you have an entire community behind you. So yeah, you may not um, go to your destination school of choice in the beginning, but this becomes a very important consideration as a, as a side benefit of why you might change your mind and then move to UH instead. It's very powerful and compelling. I have been saying for the past couple of years, especially to landlords and especially since COVID, is if you're not data-driven in your business and if you're not analyzing data and asking people who work for you to get you data, you're already behind the curve. Um, do you think that's really important moving forward is we need to analyze the data that we're able to access nowadays? Yeah, certainly, especially at the manager level, um, at the owner level also. But it's being able to um, invest in technology that provides those analytics and that provides that data so that you're not having to manually go through it on a regular basis. That that time savings allows you to then talk with vendors. Because right now, um, if you're leaning on vendors, not just technology vendors, like your, you know the different POS providers who can provide the analytics, but also the vendors who are providing a lot of your services and, and direct costs or your food costs, um, they can actually be proactive in finding solutions for you. And oh, so absolutely. It, it saves you time right, while you're still gaining the analysis and the insights that you need to make decisions to then also further um, improve your, your financial statements. Do you find, Ryan, that one of the, the challenges in, in working with restaurants and bringing them programs like this and saying to them, there are providers who can help you, the challenge is that they think they don't have the time. Whereas, in fact, if they could find the time to stop and give it to someone else, they would have more time. I mean, I'm thinking specifically at Chef's Zone, where they have a program where they really want to save their clients money. So they'll they'll do menu planning, they'll do menu costing, they'll tell you exactly where your money is going on cost of plate. And yet so many restaurants can't take advantage or don't take advantage. Do you, do you find that something that, that it, it, it's really difficult for restaurants to say, oh yes, let's do it? I think restaurant owners don't always know who to call. Mm -hmm. So if you're listening to this podcast... Just um, call Ryan. I would no. I would actually call Joe McGarry and go to Chef Zone because you're gonna you you will be surprised how many resources are available for restaurant owners. It's yeah. just tapping into them and asking for help yeah. and, and understanding what are my options. But um, uh, I, just from personal experience, Joe is you're a phenomenal resource for restaurant owners. Oh, and if they don't know you. about you, they they need to take the time to meet you. Oh, and talk with thank you. you. I appreciate that very much. I will tell you that we are overwhelmed now with. You know, I, I set up, as you know, this little clinic seven years ago when Chef Zone opened um, as, as a resource for restaurant people. We are just backed up now on Wednesday mornings. And it's, it's everything. You know, it's people who, who are reaching out for help. And a lot of them have never done that before. They've never said, we, we need some help. We don't understand where, are, where can we, you know, survive? How can we survive? But yeah, it's good. But thank you. You know, um, we could talk about so many other things too. I wanted to talk to you from the kind of construction point of view of, you know, supply chain and what is going on and is there an end to it? And is there going to be any kind of cap on construction costs? Because they are now, I mean, we were quoting restaurant build outs at $400 a square foot just 18 months to two years ago. Now we're $600 a square foot. Yeah, I think you can be selective in your material choice. And um, some of the supply chain issues are not really the raw material, but, but the packaging, for mm -hmm. example. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just um, taking the time to talk with your contractor, talk with your, your design team, and really understand what are my options, right? Value engineering 
is becoming a major buzzword. And Absolutely. that's going to help as you know, permits are issued more. Um, oh, uh, don't let's even talk at about a higher permits. volume going forward, which which we're expecting. You know, I, I knew Dr. Director Tudor very well, and and I really I, I, he did the best job that he could, and I have um, so much appreciation for him. But Don Apuna going forward is going to also do a fantastic job with you know with Mike Formby and City Administration. So they you know as those permits are being issued, general contractors are going to get a lot busier, and I think you know taking the time to meet with them, sit down in the plant, you know, before you start buying and look at what are my alternatives and how do we save time, right? And, and just take take your Gantt chart and, and look at how can we improve and reduce our schedule so that your critical path starts to um, focus on just, you know, saving you economics and saving you time. And again, that's something where people need to be reaching out for help. I mean, if you're planning a new restaurant right now or a rebuild or a renovation, you need to be asking those questions of your contractor. It's not enough anymore for people to say, oh yeah, here's the bid. You need to ask further and ask those questions. If people want to join the Restaurant Association and if they haven't, should they just go to the website and they can join up? That is the best way. Go to the website, visit us on our website. Um, you can email the info at, and then you can also, uh, we'll get you in touch immediately with our, our membership director. We are out of time, but I could have talked to you about so many more things. Maybe we'll we'll think of a new topic and you can come back and join <laughs> us shortly. Thank you so much for taking the time with us. Thank you, Joe. Ryan is the CFO of Kai Hawaii and the president of Kai High Capital LLC. He joined us today to talk about, well, as you saw, a multitude of topics, all of them uh, involved in, in business and do you, are, are you available for like through Island Business Management? Can people call you or are you just backed up and so busy right now that? No, uh, people are wel welcome to email me, ryan at ibmhawaii.com. There you go. And if you're someone who loves to find out about s statistics and figures and numbers and how things work, Ryan is absolutely the person to call. Thank you for listening today to our podcast. All of our episodes are available wherever you get your podcasts, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and the Chamber's website, cochawaii.org. If you enjoyed today's interview, please subscribe and leave a review. It only takes a few minutes and it can encourage other people to listen and maybe help the business community to continue to thrive locally, nationally, and of course, globally. You've been listening to The Voice of Business, the official podcast for the Chamber of Commerce Hawaii, presented by Alteris. Join us next time for more stories of Hawaii's business.